Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. Good evening, everybody. Thank you, brothers, for a good uh, prayers and songs. Donovan, do you know how many times I've gotten up here and said, well, this didn't go so good last time, but I'll see how it goes about every sermon, <laughs> about every time. Uh, I want to use the time this evening um, to serve the body here by way of reminder, by way of reminder, nothing new, nothing uh, deep, just a wholehearted reminder of some things that we all need to be closely in touch with. I want to talk to you about seven people who build churches. Seven people who build churches. Jesus wants healthy churches all across the world. He wants to see them in every nation. He wants to hear from them in every tongue. He wants every individual to be able to find their way to Him through Jesus Christ and His church. But you and I only have to be concerned with one. That is, we're only really responsible for the health of one. We assist other churches in building them and helping them be healthy, but we're responsible for this one, the one that we're a part of right here. And so I want to talk to you about seven different people who can do this. Uh, I don't know about you, but it's a great source of comfort to me to know that I'm not the only one on this team, right? Um, that, that I'm not alone, number one, but I'm also not the one that has to build everything about the church. That's a real source of comfort for me to know that my brothers and sisters are out in the world uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, building their own spiritual health, building other people up. That's great. And, and it comes back to me too. As I try to build, uh, you also build me. And that's terrific. I, I take great encouragement from the fact that, uh, uh, that there are teammates fighting for me, that you would fight for me, and that I would fight for you. So we're not alone in this, but there's some things we need to be about doing. The first one is this. When you think about Christians who work faithfully day in and day out in the Lord's kingdom, probably certain people come to mind. Uh, and those would be people that probably are the servants among us. Wouldn't you agree? When you think about people that are faithfully serving, you'd usually first think of people that are, that are called servants. We would describe them as servants. And we need those people in the church. We need people who are not just talking about doing the Lord's work, but actually doing it. And will lift all of us up to the occasion to serve wherever necessary. True servants aren't interested in the spotlight, just doing whatever is required in order to bring glory to Christ by getting His work done. It's all they're interested in. We need servants. And they're happy knowing that their service brings them close to the heart of Jesus. For Jesus Himself said that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. 
That's out of Mark 10.45. Jesus was quick to recognize unmet needs. And that's what servants do. They don't just wait to be called upon. Now that will happen. That will all be called. We'll learn that there's a need and we'll be called upon. But they, they see the need and go without even being asked. That's the kind of heart we're talking about. Uh, you don't have to be... The, 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 the man that fell among thieves on the road to Jericho didn't have to ask for that Samaritan to stop. Uh, he just did it. And that's the kind of heart we're talking about. Uh, and he also met felt needs uh, wherever necessary and also spiritual needs. He recognized those deep spiritual needs, forgiving sin, instilling hope in people, restoring dignity in people, rebuilding uh, relationships with people. Those are all things that, that servants can do that, that provide a spiritual blessing in, in the wake of their service. They build things. And as hearts are brought into submission to Jesus and the, the power of the Holy Spirit, as hearts are brought into submission to Him, servanthood also flourishes because we're minded to serve. We don't consider ourselves greater than our Master, but that it's our duty to serve in any way that we see possible. When that mindset comes about, the opportunities seem infinite and endless. Uh, you can start by picking up a bulletin and seeing all the ways that you could serve that are listed in our bulletins each week. But beyond that even, with your neighbors, with, with those who are not Christians, uh, there are ways to serve all the time. The church, to, to be built up, needs servants within the body to build one another and also looking outside the body to bring people to Jesus. And you must be a servant in order to become a good leader in the kingdom. For Jesus said, the greatest among you shall be your servant. The greatest among you. Those who would be recognized as great in His eyes are those who are, are servants and those who are leaders are servant leaders in the kingdom. And when we select uh, elders, for example, we look to those who serve the body, not those who would have the loudest voice, right? Not those who have uh, the greatest secular accomplishments, but those who are serving the body and bear the qualities uh, that we see in Scripture that would make good leaders. You cannot be a leader in the kingdom without first being a servant. However, we're not just talking about elders here. There is a sense in which every Christian leads in some way at some times, at the very least. Think about it with me if you would. Servants are on the move, right? Servants are seeing opportunities and they're letting their light so shine among men that men may see their good works and glorify their Father in heaven. And so servants even uh, who are not elders or leaders in the church, they're providing something to follow for someone else. Is that not right? So that's how they're great. It's not just talking about our shepherds. When Jesus said, the greatest among you shall be your servant, every one of us can be great in His eyes through serving, and you'll naturally provide leadership. If you're growing in Christ, you're showing someone the way to live. So there's a sense in which we're all called to be leaders, 
and we need more people to lead in the church. But when we're talking about leaders in the body that are giving um, direction, that are providing good spiritual food, that are tending to people's souls or overseeing that souls are being tended to, we're talking about those we've recognized among us as our elders and our shepherds, and we're thankful for that. We need those leaders also, and the church needs um, young men to consider leading in that way because the church is desperately in need of good leaders everywhere in the world. Our young men need leaders for them. Our young women need leaders for them. Our youth need leaders for them. Our married couples need leadership for them. Our singles need leaders among them. Our seniors need leaders among them. And in carrying out all the various ministries which serve the body, we need good leaders. Servants, leaders, and in order to have an abundant life, the church needs to hear and receive God's life-giving words. Peter said, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. You have the words of life. We need to receive truth and reason as it is revealed in Scripture. So we need, thirdly, proclaimers of God's Word. Proclaimers or preachers of the Word. All right, Teachers proclaim and teach as well. But specifically, we need those who will be the town criers, if you will, of the church. That will cry out with a voice that gives direction to the church keeps the church aligned with what's important to God and provides that truthful message that we need to survive. The Word can be accessed by anyone in this room at, at any time nowadays. And we've got Bibles lining the pews here. If you forgot yours, you can turn to your own or you can get on a, an app. Many of you can get on an app any time of the day, most anywhere, in, at least in this area, and have access to God's Word. It can be read, it can be understood in the convenience of your home, or pulled up uh, at break time at work. But the role of proclaimers is to clarify God's mission and purpose in our lives and to persuade people on to holiness and to stay on track with God's will. Proclaimers are persuaders. Paul said, knowing what he knew about Christ being our judge and that we would all stand before him, 2 Corinthians 5, he said, knowing this, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And proclaimers persuade men. It's easy to threaten people with condemnation or intimidation, but gospel proclaimers must move people beyond guilt recognizing that sin needs healing that's provided by the gospel and provide the answers that are readily available in Scripture. For, as Paul said, he who prophesies, that is to speak forth the Word of God, speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. That's what the messaging should be from those proclaiming truth from our pulpit here and, um, and, and any opportunity where we have any kind of uh, meetings, workshops, or anything, if people are proclaiming truth, they should be proclaiming it to edify, to exhort, and to comfort men. 
The church needs, fourthly, teachers. Teachers. Jesus quoted the prophets when he said in John 6.45, they shall all be taught of God. He was talking about what he wanted for his kingdom, that every member would be a part of a teaching model to grow their faith, to grow their spirit stronger, and to grow closer to God. The church is set up to be taught and learned. Christ's religion is meant to be taught and learned. We need teachers. Teachers are those, according to the scriptural, uh, the word, the Greek word, in fact, are those who unearth to dig up. That's what it means. And they're unearthing truths in God's word. And they like to research and they like to present it in a way then that is very clear to the listeners. And so there's a little bit of difference between preachers and teachers, not just the oratory style where you would expect me to talk until I'm finished and then we might discuss things. And in teaching, many times we have discourse and we have uh, dialogue. It's not just that though. It's that teachers are conveying truth and preachers or proclaimers scripturally are persuading, directing, casting vision for the church to follow. Teachers don't necessarily, they're not necessarily called to do that, but they're called to do the, to the same sober task of unearthing truths and giving them to the church to apply. And teachers have to be careful not to unearth so much that um, they're overloaded with information but to make sure that they give the application of what they've learned. That's a, that's a good teacher that the church needs, is, is tell us what you found out, but, but tell us how to apply that, what you found out in your studies. And we have some great teachers here at Pickerington, don't we? James spoke to it when he said it this way. This is the special, the special nature of teachers is that in James chapter 3, he started out the chapter and said, My brethren... Let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive the stricter judgment. I believe there he was talking about those who are recognized as teachers among us. Those who people are turning to for the word. That's not just something that everybody should try to grasp and do, but, but those who are drawn to it, called to do it, and can do it, should do it. But on another note, in Hebrews, we're told by now, you ought to be teachers. All of you ought to be able to share the gospel that you have heard and obeyed with someone else. All of you ought to be able to convey first principles to somebody else. So the church needs more teachers in, in, in the general sense, but also in the, in the specific sense of growing yourself in that ability if you love to unearth truth in God's Word and convey it with the rest of us. Please do that. Fifthly, the church needs exhorters. Exhorters. That means to build up. We need people who will, who will come together with a mind to build up the church. And we might do that by proclaiming. We might do that by teaching. But most likely, it's going to happen before the assembly begins, before or after our services are over. It's going to happen in the parking lot. It's going to happen on the phone. It's going to happen in a card. The church needs people to be encouraging one another. 
This is a difficult way, Jesus said. He said it's difficult. Uh, he, he drew us together for meeting and to uh, edify one another. And we need all of us to exhort one another. More, in more detail, that means that not only would you be willing to offer words of encouragement to someone. All of us are pretty good at that, I think. If I looked around the room, I could probably think of something really kind and helpful that every one of you have said to me or I've heard you say it to somebody else. But this is a willingness to walk alongside of somebody. An exhorter will get in the trenches with those who really need counsel and help, and they're willing and available to walk with them, to bring them back into a healthy relationship with God. That's what that word means in the original language, is to come alongside. So not just to speak and say, I'm, I'm thinking of you, praying for you. That's terrific. That gives us great encouragement to know that. But somebody would say, and how are you doing? What can I do to help you? Let me share with you something that helped me when I walked through a time like this. And then I want to know how you're doing tomorrow. And I'll check on you on Tuesday. And hey, let's get together and pray Wednesday when we're together here at the church. I want a special time with you. That's the kind of exhortation that Scripture is calling for and that the church needs more of in order to build her. Sixth, the church needs givers. Givers. All Christians are called to give liberally and cheerfully, and especially in that monetary sense. But givers are more than that. Uh, givers are set apart not by wealth or how much they can share or give. They're set apart by a philosophy. They see themselves as stewards of what they have, not owners, not possessors to accumulate and hoard for one's own security in this life. But a steward, that is, it's not mine, and as surely as I have received it, I would be willing to give it if it meant helping somebody else. That's the kind of giver we see in Acts chapter 2, a church full of them. No one said that any of the things that they possessed were their own. They're God's, and what's mine is yours. That's the attitude that the early church had. Isn't that special? And that's how the church grew also, uh, in, in part. The early church took off. You wonder, wow, how did it go? How did 3,000 people you know, uh, obey the Lord? Well, they had some experience with this giving nature. Then they heard the gospel, and it directed them into a relationship with Christ where they received His grace and said, what more do I need in life? What's mine's yours? I'm leaving it all behind anyhow someday. That kind of attitude spurred the church on. And they don't need to be asked to give. They'll look for opportunities like the servant. You see, a giver is a servant, a leader is a servant, an exhorter is a servant. But they'll look for opportunities to give. And then they'll share their gifts as though they're just being passed along. They also believe that whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. And that God loves a cheerful giver and that's enough of a reward. So if they're looking uh, for any kind of comfort for their own hearts, that's enough. That God who sees in secret will reward you openly. All right? That's just enough. That's all I need. Uh, I don't need praise from men. 
Finally, the church needs merciful people. Merciful people. Those who show mercy to their brethren and to their neighbors are very, very near to, the, to God's heart. Very near to God's heart. Jesus said that to love your neighbor is as important as loving God. So when someone said, Teacher, what's the great commandment? He said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. Wait a minute, I'm not done yet. There's a second one like it. And he elevated that right up there. To love your neighbor as yourself. Merciful people love with a love that will give of themselves to somebody else that is in need, that is hurting, uh, that's suffering. And there's more to that. It's important that they are able to feel with people, to listen well to people, to try to understand what people are going through, uh, to embrace those people, and then to offer them comfort and hope. The exhorter will take that situation and say, allow me to walk with you back to or toward spiritual health. The merciful just want to alleviate suffering. They'll sit with you and don't need to say a word. They'll be there in the hospital if you're in the hospital, if at all possible. They'll be there with you. These are the types of people that really can change the culture of the church. Servants who are merciful. Christ's heart is seen so clearly in those who show mercy. What does the Lord require of you, O man, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Micah spoke for God in that. And Jesus told the hard-hearted leaders of the Jewish church, of the uh, the Pharisees, he said, but go and learn what this means. You remember what he said? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That's really what he's after, is mercy. It's important to bring physical relief to the suffering by being there for him. But it's imperative also to bring spiritual relief. And mercy showers are good at relieving affliction and bringing comfort, but if they want to actually help be people become disciples by their mercy showing, they will also be ready to share the hope of Christ through the gospel that those people need to hear in their time of affliction. So mercy showers, when they speak, ought to be ready to remind and instill hope in people that God's right here with you they, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, don't fear evil. For His rod and His staff are with you. They'll comfort you. Let them comfort you. That's the type of mercy showing we need more of. And that requires us to be mindful. In fact, doesn't, don't all these characteristics in these people uh, demand that we are assertive in our faith? That we're not just attending assemblies and going home and just kind of waiting if somebody needs me I'll I'll try to do what I can it's people who come together with the mind to do this now you may ask why did you choose those seven why did you choose those seven 
Those happen to be the seven things that Paul mentions in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, and he calls them grace gifts with these people. All of us are called to do all of these things. But he says, there are those among you who are especially gifted by Christ to do at least one of these things very well. So do them. And he wrote it like this, having then gifts deferring according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy or proclamation, if prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith or ministry serving. Let us use it in our ministering or serving. He who teaches, use it in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. And he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. That's where those seven came from. Paul, speaking through the Spirit, said, this is enough to build the church and make it strong. And when you know that you have a special gift or talent for one of these, use it. Ride it all the way through life. Use it as often as you can because God gave that to you to do. And He supplied the church with everything we need to do all the works that we need to do. So by way of reminder, I lay that out before you, church. I persuade you, as a proclaimer should, as sure as I'm standing here, to be all of these things when you can, when you see them. Do all of these things um, and be ready for them. But come with the mind to do it when we're assembled. And when you leave here, have a mind to take it with you and share it with the world that needs to see it so desperately. Give the world a taste of the Pickerington Church of Christ. That's what I want you to do this week. Donovan, come up here and lead your song. And if there's anyone that needs to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ by repenting of sin and being baptized into Him, we can surely do that tonight. Let's stand and sing.